from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. Song. You can't sing any words you want to sing. Burn, burn, burning down the... Our, hello, Earthlings. Welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I'm Eric S. Piotrowski, a.k.a. Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, a.k.a. Scartol in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Monday, the 21st of October. Happy birthday to my mom. It's my mom's birthday today, so happy birthday, mom. On this show, I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up. Up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is a brand new kid to show biz. With knowledge, I persevere. But if I not do me a favor, favor. favor. let me in here. Then we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the base with a taste of light. I don't know why, but for some reason, we went looking up burning down the house. And like for the last two days, that's the only song that's been in my head. And it's been in my head all day, every day. Because that song is amazing. You can put in any words you want. So whenever we see, you know, our dog is sleeping on the couch, our dog. I to sleep on the couch and eat dinner. I got to take the dog for a walk. Burning down the house. Now I talk about some things and you have got to listen in. All right, enough of that. I'm not going to be singing anymore. Maybe, dude, you think like maybe Jen Kirkman's been like influencing the way you podcast? Of course she's been influenced the way I podcast. Everything I listen to influences everything I do. I had jury duty today and I was real nervous because, you know, you get jury duty and maybe it'll drag on for weeks or months. I can't miss weeks or months of school. That's not an option. So I went in really nervous. But I got I got sent out of the courtroom after like an hour because the way they do it is this is a fascinating tale just settle in people dude man you're gonna tell us the whole story i hope yes i am spaced out hippie like dude oh awesome man because you had like avner van gosh on last week and now i'm here what's your name spaced out hippie dude Whatever, man. How do you have, like, a name? Like, what does it even mean to have a name? It's like, dude. I'm not calling you dude because that's Lebowski's name. Your name is going to be Burnout Hippie Dork. All right, man. You can call me whatever you want. You can call me Burnout Hippie Dork. You can call out. You can call me Call Out. Like, you can call. I'm not calling. Shut up. All right, man. You ain't got to be mean. Anyway, so here's the thing. Uh, jury duty, yeah. So I went in, and you, you sit in a room for a little while, and they had the Today Show on, which is a bizarre experience, because I never watched the Today Show. And I swear to God, on the Today Show, it said, uh, <laughs> later this hour, we've got <laughs> Christy Brinkley talking about uh, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. We've got, you know, some American Idol star or whatever. We've got this model that is a woman, but she also models as a man or something. And then, and also Dick Cheney will be stopping by to talk about his thoughts on the government shutdown. And I was just like, what? <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. I just pray that they actually arranged it so that Dick Cheney's coming on right after Christy Brinkley. What do you think? How about Dick Cheney on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Oh man, that's not something anybody ever wants to watch. Pipe down, burnout, hippie dork. 
All right, dude, chill. Anyway, um, yeah, so so jury duty, and then you sat in the room, and then they played this DVD from is about like how the courts work and why we have jury trials, and it was weird because they had interviews with Sandra Day O'Connor and Justice uh, Stephen Alito, and. Alito made a comment that I actually agreed with and I hadn't thought about before. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? I'm hearing things from Alito that I don't want to hear. Uh, Samuel Alito? I don't remember his name. Anyway, so he said, you know, look, there's probably something else you'd rather be doing or maybe you need to be at work or whatever. But think of it this way. If you were ever on trial, wouldn't you want someone like you to be on the jury? And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. I, this person on trial does deserve having a competent, intelligent person there. So... Then we go in, and, and they have a bunch of people who are in the dock, the jury you know, chamber, the little booth area for the jury first, and then there's reserve people in the other area. And they ask everybody on the jury to stand up and say a few things about themselves first. And I happen to, oh, God, I just ripped it, sugar. So <laughs> I have the list of questions that they asked us, and uh, they didn't collect it afterwards, so I assume I can take it. And I asked the clerk lady can i talk about this stuff she's like yeah so now i'm talking about it this is inside scoop people oh yeah all right so what you have to do is you have to say a little about yourself name age city or town of residence marital status and number of children if any current occupation former if retired current or former occupation of your spouse or domestic partner if you have any adult children where are they employed any military service blah 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 how far you went in school and what major areas of study membership in any groups or organizations hobbies and leisure time activities favorite types of reading material favorite types of television shows whether you regularly use the internet to visit sites other than email or personal business and if so, what types of sites you visit most often? So, uh, obviously, I, you know, talking about myself, I talked about Diane, and I mentioned that she has several jobs. And when I got to the part about her working at Troy Farms, she goes, the judge says, what does she do there? And I was like, farms? Like, she plants seeds and harvests crops. Like, what does anybody do on a farm? She farms. So I just thought that was an odd question. But I suppose they might have been expecting me to say that she works there in an administrative capacity or whatever. Um, so, yeah, all the first few questions were fairly standard. But then I got to membership in groups and organizations. And I'm like, I'm a member of a lot of groups, uh, including Amnesty International, American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, I used to be a member of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. But then they started being idiots. And I stopped being a member of that group. Um, but, I, you know, I mentioned the East Timor and Indonesia Action Network. And I mentioned, uh, you know, amnesty working at school and then you know volunteering at home and uh yeah you know like i didn't talk about uh volunteering with you know like opposition to wto and imf and stuff but i might have later uh hobby and leisure time activities what well i got video games obviously i was like writing wikipedia articles uh writing letters for amnesty international Woo! Leisure activities. And like everybody else on the jury is like, I like to hunt and we go fishing a lot and we hike and we do this. And I like to watch HGTV and I go shopping at overstock.com. The part was, my favorite was when they're talking about which websites they go to. Because everybody said, first of all, everybody said MSN. And I'm like, really? People go to MSN? That's interesting. And uh, and then the other ones were like, yeah, shopping online. That was the only other thing people do online, apparently. Like nobody, a few people said Facebook. Nobody said Reddit. Nobody said much. I mean, MSN was the only news site I think anybody mentioned. Uh, so anyway, yeah. And then I was like, favorite types of television shows. Okay. I didn't even say The Simpsons. How crazy is that? For me to be in court, a, a federal court record, and I didn't say The Simpsons. This is a disgraceful day in my life. 
Dude, what's wrong with you, man? It was your one chance to tell the world. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. I wasn't telling them anybody about anything. I was reading it into a court stenographer. And the other thing that was fascinating was there's this one dude who went up and he wanted to answer a question, but he didn't want to answer the whole room. So that's fine. You can go up and do a sidebar where you talk just to the judge. But in order to make sure nobody hears what gets said throughout the courtroom, there's these speakers so you can hear what's being said through the microphones. While that sidebar was going on, they played this white noise. So the guy goes up, and all of a sudden, there's... And I thought, what a cool idea. Maybe I should do that in my classroom. Be like, I need to take this phone call, y'all. I should actually dub in actual white noise, but I'm not going to. You get the idea. Um, So... They said they asked questions about you know because it was it was a case involving somebody who was currently being held in a prison. So there were a lot of questions about do you know anybody? Have you ever worked in a prison? Do you know anybody who worked in a prison? Do you know anybody who's involved in the Department of Corrections, et cetera, et cetera? All these questions about how close you are to the Department of Corrections. And then they asked, um, you know, the, there were other questions about you know your history. Do you think this would make it hard for you to be an impartial juror? Blah blah blah. And, and I never said yes. I never had any of those interactions. I don't know anybody who works at the DOC. I, I said, the, I, one of my favorite rappers is the D- DOC. Is that a problem? I didn't actually say that. That'd be cool. He should have said that. That'd be awesome. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the, so once they... they make people sort of self-select or they ask questions if you think it would be impossible, they send one person out because, you know, basically he didn't think it would be possible for him to be impartial for whatever reason. But after that, then it becomes the the, the, the attorneys for the two sides get to choose some people to dismiss. And they just, they don't say why, they just, you guys are gone. And I was one of those people. So they just said goodbye and these replacement people came up to fill our spots and then... They said, the judge said, hey, you people who got dismissed, you're done. Goodbye. And we were free to leave. And that was my exciting day in federal court. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So it was riveting. I'm sure you're all just glued to your seats. I don't have a take action thing this week time uh, because I don't don't know. There's probably actions you should be taking, but I don't know about any of them. Figure out your own action. I'm a busy man. I was time to sit here playing with the phone. Let's talk current events. Malala Yousafzai rules! Oh my god, she's everywhere all of a sudden. She wrote a book, and now she's doing this book tour, and she's blowing up the spot! And I'm so happy. I love seeing her everywhere. Everyone's like, she got nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize doesn't really mean anything, because anybody can get nominated, and there's nothing really involved in that. But... I still think it would have been amazing if she had won. I, who won the Nobel Peace Prize? A bunch of dorks. And you, we, nobody should be using chemical weapons, please. Ah, so what? Who cares? They've never done anything to make the world better. Malala should have won. Anyway, uh, i got to play you this clip from The Daily Show because at one point, Jon Stewart asked her what she would like to say to the guy who shot her. For those of you who don't know, Malala, you saw side. Uh, was shot by the Pakistani Taliban because she spoke out in favor of education for girls and basically Taliban sucks. And uh, I, I was thinking about what I, I read a letter from the Taliban, Pakistan, Pakistan Taliban recently. And uh, 
I, I think I said some things that were pretty dumb for me to say. Oh, we should get every side of everything. The, I, I mean, now the more I think about it, the more I realize, like, the Pakistani Taliban, why do I need to give them any time on the air? Like, this is valuable air time. They should pay if they want to get on my show. Actually, nobody can pay to get on this show. But the point is that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I kind of, I, I think it's interesting to hear what the Taliban has to say, but... The more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, wait a minute, there are a bunch of lion scumbags. They tried to kill this little girl. What the hell? So if I if I came across as having any kind of sympathy for the Taliban in Pakistan, I apologize. That was not my intent at all. Anyway, let me play you this clip from The Daily Show because it's absolutely awesome. When did you realize the Taliban had made you a target? When, uh, in 2012, um, we were, I was with my father and someone came and she told us that, have you seen on uh, Google that if you search your name and uh, the Taliban have threatened you? And I just could not believe it. I said, no, it's not true. And even after the threat, when we saw it, I was not worried about myself that much. I was worried about my father because we thought that the Taliban are not that much cruel that they would kill a child because I was 14 at that time. But then later on, I, I used to, like, started, I, I started thinking about that, and I used to think, think that the Talib would come, and he would just kill me. But then I said, if he comes, what would you do, Malala? Um, then I would reply myself that, Malala, just take a shoe and hit him. But then I said, <laughs> <laughs> but then I said, if you hit a Talib with your shoe, then there would be no difference between you and that Talib. You must not treat others I... that much with cruelty and that much harshly. You must fight others, but through peace and through dialogue and through education. Then I said, I'll tell him how important education is and that I even want education for your children as well. And I'll tell him, that's what I want to tell you. Now do what you want. <laughs> And John Stewart, John Stewart's expression is just—it's perfect because he doesn't know what to say. You know, he's blown away, as am I. I almost started crying even when I when I just heard that. Her ability—anytime anybody can endure such horrible violence and come out of it with mercy and love for the person who did the violence toward them—I think is just—it's amazing grace. That is the love of the divine coming through human beings, and it's absolutely amazing to me that that happens and it also gives me hope that we might make it in terms of a species as a civilization we might not destroy ourselves and and we can each draw strength from that and realize that all the horrors of the world are overpowering and scary yes but we also have that burning divine love within us that can allow us to not forget and not ignore the horrors but to find mercy and love for those who do bad things and while I'm on the topic, if you ever get a chance to read a book called uh, um, <sighs> Forgiving the Dead Man Walking by Debbie Morris, it's absolutely stunning because it's the same sort of thing. The movie Dead Man Walking is based on uh, Sean Penn's character in that movie is based on two people. And one of the people, the real people who his character is based on was a guy named Robert Willie. And she was this woman, Debbie Morris was abducted by him and raped and watched her boyfriend get murdered in front of her and all these horrible things. And she ended up forgiving the guy. And it's an, I mean, you know, I was reading, I finished reading it at the Orlando airport when I was visiting Florida one time and I was just, 
bawling in the middle of the airport because I was finishing the book and I was just crying and so moved by her amazing story. It's absolutely stunning. Anyway, uh, Malala has been on The Daily Show, 60 Minutes, 2020 Time Magazine. Had a great article. I will post it on my website, fbesp.org slash synapse, uh, called the headline is There Are Thousands of Malalas, uh, What the Teenage Activist Has Already Won. And, uh, you know, it says she missed out on this year's Nobel Peace Prize, but Malala Yousafzai has already inspired a generation of Pakistani schoolgirls. And it's absolutely radical and magnificent uh, to see the, all these other girls standing up for education. And, um, yeah, just totally excellent. Uh, th- there's this Pakistani schoolgirl named Wahia Batul, uh, a stu- schoolgirl in Islamabad, just slightly younger than Malala. Uh, when we saw Malala, we were very happy, she said. Um, she's a source of pride for us, et cetera, et cetera. She's so brave. She's become a um, wall in front of terrorism. How beautiful is that, that these little schoolgirls are now taking on the Taliban and they're winning because, of course, it's a war It's a war of, of you know, public relations. And, of course, the Taliban's going to lose that war. And as, and as long as we insist that the fight must only be done with drones and bombs and death, then the Taliban will continue to win because every bomb we drop, every drone strike we carry out lets the Taliban say, look, here they come for us. And in terms of their PR, that's a boost for them. But if we can respond by saying, look, what we want is education, peace, and love, then they have no way to respond to that. Anyway, um, the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon said, and this is a great quote, extremists have shown what frightens them most, a girl with a book. Oh, take that, Pakistan Taliban. Uh, And then Malala was on NPR, and she said, we women are going to bring change. We are speaking up for girls' rights, but we must not behave like men like they have done in the past. Bam! Take that, men! And, uh, you know, a lot of guys are going to go, We're not all men! We're not all like that! But I would say this about that, because I hear this a lot. People, you know, you start talking about white people, and certain white people will go, Not all white people are like that! Come on! Don't generalize! Here's the thing. Look, I've always said this. Because I, you know, when I was like 16, I started to realize who I was in the scope of race and economics and gender and all the rest of it. And, 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 And I was a little, you know, I felt... Oh, they're talking about me. But then I realized, wait a minute, hang on a second. Look, they're talking about an attitude. They're talking about privileges that you have if you are a member of a certain group. If you're a man, you have certain privileges. There are certain attitudes that most men have. And here's the question you should ask yourself, guys. When you hear something like that, you should ask yourself, wait a minute, am I like that? Eh, yes or no. If not, fine. Then they're not talking about you. And then the question is, do you believe that it's fair to say that men as a whole have acted in a horrible, violent manner in the past? And I think any honest person would say, yeah, most men, you know, men as a whole have acted as aggressors, as, you know, scions of dominance and people trying to just impose will on things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Fox News also had, I know, sorry, I'm quoting Fox News now. Um, They talk about this university class that's developing a curriculum based on Malala's book, and I just think it's so awesome to see uh, Malala in the public eye and doing awesome things. Meanwhile, fracking news, frack this. I should have a little jingle. Yo, frack this, frack this, yeah, man, that's awesome. He's the talking heads. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. Um, victory in France as law banning fracking is upheld. In a boost for President François Hollande, France's constitutional court has upheld a law banning fracking. Anti-fracking campaigners were jubilant about the ruling. I don't know if anti-fracking campaigners, I've, if I've ever seen them jubilant, because usually most of the time it's, 
this stuff's going to contaminate our water or our water's going to catch on fire and lots of people are going to die. There's one place where fracking isn't allowed. Awesome. That's as jubilant as anti-fracking campaigners tend to be. Uh, but You shouldn't say that, man. Anti-fracking campaigners love everybody, man. They're like the most jubilant people I know. Would you consider yourself jubilant, burnout, hippie dork? Yeah, man, I'm totally jubilant. <laughs> you sound like you're like stoned and not, not, that's not the same thing as jubilant. Whatever, man. You say potato, I say pass the french fries. <laughs> you sound like Slater from Days to Confuse. Hey, man, whatever you want to call me is cool. You can call me Slater, man. I get older, they stay the same age. That was Matthew McConaughey's character. You suck. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. The U.S. Energy Information Administration, EIA, estimates 5 trillion cubic meters worth of shale gas reserves could lie in French soil, mainly in the Paris Basin and the Rhône Valley. This is believed to be the equivalent of 90 years of French gas consumption. The ruling goes against the pro-fracking consensus that exists throughout most of Europe. Germany is likely to be the next country to seriously explore fracking. Despite protests, the U.K. could also see permits granted within two years. Poland was considered a promising location for the process. However, their hopes were dashed when disappointing drilling results saw three international firms quit. And there was another one. Uh, there was a story in, I don't remember where, I want to say Romania, where some people like blocked the road. And I think it was Exxon or some company was trying to go in there to frack and they weren't able to. And uh, so it was just kind of cool that, yeah, these activists stopped it. And I would say, Europe, man, y'all y'all seem to have your heads screwed on right when it comes to protecting your environment, but this fracking stuff could easily go south quickly. Um, news from Africa. South Sudan child scrap metal diggers blown up by unexploded ordnance. What a sad headline that is. First of all, you ever read a headline where you're, you're suddenly introduced to a whole new group of people you'd never heard of before? Like, if you saw an article that was like, you know... Um, cluster bombs swallowing dolphins uh, endangered in the world scope or whatever. You'd be like, there are cluster bombs swallowing dolphins? What are you talking about? I never knew that existed. So, yeah, here's these children in the South Sudan whose job it is, apparently, to dig through scrap metal. (sighs) So here's the story. Uh, Five children have been killed by... Where is this from? This is from the BBC. Five children have been killed by an old mortar shell as they dug for scrap metal in South Sudan's capital, Juba. The five were looking for metal in an old army barracks, a military spokesman told the BBC. Uh, The BBC's James Copnail says, Unexploded ordnance and mines remain a big problem in South Sudan following decades of civil war. There are cleanup operations underway in several areas of South Sudan, but such explosions kill people every year. And this is something we should remember when we talk about war, is that just because a war ends doesn't mean that the war really ends. Of course, it continues for soldiers who have to live with the horrors of war in their dreams and in their lives afterwards, the memories of fallen comrades. And then also the areas where wars take place, not only with landmines, but unexploded bombs and uh, depleted uranium that the United States military uses. That leaves a toxic legacy for the people in the places where the wars take place. And I dare say that if our children had to search for scrap metal and get blown up by these bombs, or our children had to deal with the legacy of depleted uranium, we'd be a lot less likely to use it all the time. News from East Timor now. Mismanagement highlighted in East Timor. First of all, what a boring headline, man. You could have come up with a better headline than that. Al Jazeera. 
What's up with that? Hey, man, don't go out your allergies here. That's one of the only truthful sources in the world, man. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. Uh, so, okay, here's the thing. East Timor had given a contract to a Chinese state-owned company, and they screwed everything up, and then the East Timor government said this new thing that they needed chairs and desks for schools, they're like, hey, let's use that Chinese company again. What? And they actually quoted Lao Mutuk, which I was like, yes, what? Okay, so here's the, here's the article. East Timor's government has come under renewed public criticism after granting a contract to a Chinese state-owned company to supply furniture to Timorese schools. I just told you that. The contract of just over $1 million is relatively small for a country with oil and gas wealth, but is significant as larger. In 2008, the Prime Minister, Janana Gushmao, granted the same company a $300 million contract, the largest in the nation's history at the time, to build East Timor's power plants and national electricity grid. The company, Chinese Nuclear Industry Construction Company Number 22, what an awesome name for a company. Because uh, in the United States, it's always like Electrocharge, or, you know, we, we mush two names together, or we make up a word, Exxon, or whatever. It's all, you know, Introtech, or something. This, China, we will call it, Ch and I don't want to do a Chinese accent, because there's no way to do it that's not racist. China, we will call it Chinese Nuclear Industry Construction Company Number 22. That's what it, CNI 22 uh, was widely criticized for its failure to fulfill the terms of the contract, and a big portion of the work had to be reassigned to a different company, increasing the cost by hundreds of millions of dollars and delaying the project for several years. And I'd, I'd be very interested to know what the state of their power plants and national electricity grid are even now, because. Last I was there in 2008, and I didn't see any evidence of even a plan for a national electricity grid. I dare say my friends in East Timor would say, national electricity grid, what are you talking about? I mean, I assume there's some sort of electricity happening, but it's not, you know, we all take electricity for granted. I got to charge my iPhone, I got to turn on my Xbox and my PS3 and my iPad all at the same time. I am the master of electricity! Uh, like Pat Oswalt, I'm the king of breathing! Anyway, uh, here's the quote from Lamutuk. We hope they will never receive another contract from East Timor, a government watchdog group. Lamutuk walking together. I designed the website. You shouldn't brag about that, man. That website looks shitty. Yeah, I know it does. You're quite right about that burnout hippie dork. That's a pretty ugly website. What were you thinking, man? I wasn't, all right? I was, I'll was. i tell you what I was thinking. When I designed the website for Lamutuk, I was thinking, like, I was thinking like you, burnout hippie dork. Here's what I was thinking. I was thinking... Dude, we should have websites that don't have just straight lines, but like curved edges, like a little softer, a little rounder. And as a result, the functionality is garbage. They have that to like jam information into the sides and it's all just a big mess. You should volunteer some of your time next summer to fix it, man. Yeah, I probably should burn out hippie dork, but I also got to work on my next book and I'm trying to get published and I got a million other things to do. Yeah, but don't you order the people of East Timor? You know what? I don't know the people of East Timor are staying awake at night crying because the Lao Muntuk website isn't as nice looking as it could be. Leave me alone. Anyway, uh, they, <laughs> Lao Muntuk wrote in an October 8th letter to the chairman of the National Procurement Commission. Um, but then the government, like, like I said, turned around and gave them the same company, <coughs> Chinese Nuclear Industry Construction Company number 22, uh, the school contract. So here's the rest of the article. The awarding of another contract to CNI22 this month revives questions about the government's relationship with the company. Critics ask, why would it buy school tables and chairs from an international construction company? Why would it import the furniture instead of patronizing local suppliers, thus generating employment and keeping money in the country? A spokesman from Guzmao's office did not respond to requests for comment. 
it seems to happen a lot, man. You have, like, governments doing stuff that's wrong, and then you're like, hey, government, what's up with that? And the government's like, we don't want to comment. Yeah, that's actually true, burnout hippie dork. You kind of have a good point. Respect my we talk about economics. Shut up, Burnout Hippie Dork, you suck. You can't sing Wu-Tang. You shouldn't even try. Hey, man, get off my back. No! Who is Janet Yellen? A look at Obama's candidate for Fed chief. Is that really all you got for economics this week? That's pretty weak, dude. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know what to say. They're, they're, the, the only news from Wall Street lately has been Wall Street's happy the government's working again. Okay, that's not big news. Who cares? So anyway, uh, Janet. Yeah. Uh, so Larry Summers was the dude who was supposed to be the next Fed chief. Cause is Timothy Geithner? No. Uh, Ben Bernanke is the current Fed chief, and uh, of course Timothy Geithner would be. But Timothy Geithner is Secretary of the Treasury. So anyway, uh, yeah, Larry Summers is a dork who he he said when Cornell West put out his first album. Larry Summers goes, I don't think the professor or Harvard should be making rap albums. I'm like, first of all, it's not a rap album. Are you stupid? Like, get a grip, moron. And then it's like, why not? Like, he, it, it, Cornell is a public intellectual. And, and there's a lot to be said for reaching out through music and culture. Shut up, Larry Summers. Yeah, shut up, Larry Summers. I only know who you are, but you should shut up. Yeah, thanks, burnout, hippie dark. Anyway, um, so he got basically glossed over. I don't even know what the word would be. He, I, I don't know if he resigned. It took his name off the list or what, but it became clear Larry Summers was not going to be the next Fed chief because he's, he's, he's got, he was too involved in the 2008 economic disaster, I think. Prob, that's basically what I heard. So Janet Yellen's the next one in line. Okay, so who is she? Well, there's this in-depth article from Business Week where they talk about who she is. Uh, and from what I can tell, uh, she's a step in the right direction from Larry Summers and Ben Bernanke. Now, you know, look, if somebody's in a serious running to become Fed chief, I don't know that we can really count them as a strong advocate for workers' rights. But the quote I found here is, uh, the, in a speech to the AFL-CIO in February of 2013, she said, quote, these are not just statistics to me. We know that long-term unemployment is devastating to workers and their families. The toll is simply terrible on the mental and physical health of workers. End quote. And that's great. That's something I would love to have heard from Ben Bernanke because all he ever talked about was banks on Wall Street and how we need to, you know, make sure banks can borrow and the interest rates are low and yada, yada, yada. Um, but whether she's going to, you know, turn in some radical new direction or like use the power of the Fed to help working people in the long run, well, that remains to be seen. So I don't know. Anyway, that's all the education news we have. Let's talk education. <laughs> Why do teachers quit? Man, I should read you this whole article. If I had time, I would just sit and read you this whole article because it's awesome. It's from theatlantic.com, which used to be known as the Atlantic Monthly, but then it's website, so it's not like every month or so whatever. It's much more frequent than that. So anyway, it's an amazing article. I'll just read you the first part of it, and then I'll jump to like the most important bits. Um, 
Richard Ingersoll taught high school social studies and algebra in both public and private schools for nearly six years before leaving the profession and getting a Ph.D. in sociology. Now a professor in the University of Pennsylvania's education school, he's spent his career in higher ed searching for answers to one of teaching's most significant problems, teacher turnover. Teaching, Ingersoll says, was a quote, was originally built as this temporary line of work for women before they got their real job, which was raising families or temporary for men until they moved out of the classroom and became administrators. That was sort of the historical setup, end quote. Ingersoll extrapolated and later confirmed that anywhere between 40 and 50 percent of teachers will leave the classroom within their first five years. That includes the nine and a half percent that leave before the end of their first year. Nine and a half percent. That's one in ten leave before the end of their first year. That was me. Uh, back to the article. Certainly all professions have turnover, and some shuffling out the door is good for bringing in young blood and fresh faces. But turnover in teaching is about 4% higher than other professions. I thought that said four times higher. That's not as alarming. 4% higher than other professions. Eh, whatever. Anyway, approximately 15.7% of teachers leave their posts every year, and 40% of teachers who pursue undergraduate degrees in teaching never even enter the classroom at all. With teacher effectiveness a top priority of the education reform movement, the question remains, why are all these teachers leaving or not even entering the classroom in the first place? And the whole article then explores all these answers. And... You probably, are, if you know me or you've listened to this show, you probably know what they are. They have a lot to do with people being disrespected. Low wages are part of it, but it's that's not the whole thing because we don't choose to go into this career for the money, but money's not irrelevant. You, you know, De La Soul said money's not everything, but I can't live without it. Um, and there's so much that's outside our control, but we're being expected to perform these miracles. And when students don't do well, it's our fault, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, Ingersoll himself responded. One of the big reasons I quit was sort of intangible, he says. But it's very real. It's just a lack of respect, he says. Teachers in schools do not call the shots. They have very little say. They're told what to do. It's a very disempowered line of work. And I actually wrote something on Reddit in response to this article, because I get a lot of this stuff through Reddit, and especially the education articles. I mean, I have a Google News alert about education. Man, you better make sure you tell them everything about how you find these articles because they want to know. I know they don't really care, burnout hippie dork, but I'm stalling while I pull up my... That's pathetic, man. You're stalling while you're doing the thing. Come on. Anyway, shut up. Here's what I wrote on Reddit in response to that. The meta problem facing teachers is this. You're disrespected on a daily basis from all directions. You can feel your own disempowerment. You can point to specific examples from young people and adults. You're drowning in the brutal consequences of bad decisions made by people who rarely, if ever, step into the halls of your school, whether it's politi politicians trying to enact reforms or political reformers or, or parents doing bad decisions or, you know, all sorts of people are doing horrible things that affect kids negatively. And yet, you also receive constant platitudes of thanks and celebration, proclaiming the community's quote-unquote appreciation for all the hard work you do. So how can you feel disrespected? It must be in your head. Perhaps you're going crazy. You should probably eat better, slash exercise, slash meditate more, if only you had the time. But then, of course, the paradox there is you don't have as much time as you need to have in order to get healthy and yada, yada, yada. So 
I, I think that's another element of it in terms of not being respected. Uh, back to the article, other teachers, especially the younger ones, are also leaving the classroom for seemingly nebulous reasons. I spoke with nearly a dozen public and private school teachers and former teachers around the country. I use pseudonyms, blah, blah, blah. Many of them cited personal reasons ranging from individual stress levels to work-life balance struggles. Uh, we're held to a really high standard for everything, says Emma, a 26-year-old former teacher at a public school in Kansas who now works for a music education nonprofit. It stems from this sense that teachers aren't real people, and the only thing that came close to making me stay was the kids. And I think that one of the things that happens with teachers is, you know, there's this hope that they'll be able to have this impact that they ultimately only have once in a very rare while. And I cited a BBC article a while ago that said, the in you know all the other factors that affect a child's life are 90% of what happens and then the teaching can only really account for about 10% of the influence in a student's life and obviously it's so different for each individual i've had students who have told me that my classrooms totally changed their lives i've had a lot of students who are like i hated every minute of that i didn't learn anything you suck um and i and of course you know if even if it is, even if we take the 10% number you never know where that 10% is going to happen. You never, just as with any form of political activity, right? We fight against segregation in the United States. You never know where a Rosa Parks incident is going to happen or, you know, where that mushroom is going to burst through the soil. Uh, so you have to just keep pushing and pushing all the time everywhere. Well, I think that that can be very discouraging to a lot of people. But the other thing is, I think a lot of teachers a lot of new teachers especially have this feeling that, well, it's also overwhelming. These people who have been here a while are somehow managing to make it work. If I feel overwhelmed, that must be a problem with me. I just can't take it or whatever. You know what I mean? So therefore I have to leave. And that notion of individual stress level, that's, that's a, a, an industry wide, you know, that's across all of education and it's not an industry, man. Shut up. I know. Um, and, but that's something that affects every teacher. And I believe there's an epidemic of insomnia, for instance, that afflicts teachers of all walks of life. And it's probably much higher than the average for the public as a whole. Um, but anyway, so yeah, the, the article's fascinating. You should read the whole thing. I'm not going to bore you with the whole thing, but it's really important. And um, yeah, in my interview, last paragraph, I'll read you. In my interviews with the teachers, the same issues come to the surface. Uh, in theory, the classroom hours aren't bad and the summers are free. But many young teachers soon realize they must do overwhelming amounts of after-hours work. Uh-huh. They pour out emotional energy into their work. That's out of the article. That's putting it mildly. Anybody who's listened to this who's ever... Sometimes I have former students who listen to these podcasts. They know that that's a vast understatement. They pour out emotional energy into their work. By the end of the day, I am exhausted. Not just because teaching is exhausting, but because the way I teach is not sidelines, it's not just in front of the classroom. I'm like constantly circling the classroom, trying to pump things up and get people excited about learning and reading and writing and stuff. And uh, yeah, which breeds quick exhaustion, the article says. Yeah, that's pretty much me. And they experience the frustrating uphill battle that comes along with teaching, particularly in low-performing schools. And I'm lucky because our schools generally... You know, we have this Wisconsin report card now, and it's always exceeding expectations. You're exceeding expectations. You're doing great. It's fine. No sweat. Um, once those numbers start to taper off, and they will because the formula is, are you constantly showing, you know, it started off with no child left behind, the adequate yearly progress. And are you constantly showing the kind of improvement you need to show? In the same way that Wall Street, it's not enough to for them to post earnings. They need to post 
increased profits, but then it's not enough to show increased profits. They need to exceed the projections from analysts, and then it's not enough to exceed the projections of analysts. They have to do better every quarter of exceeding projections by even more every quarter. And that's why we have all our crap manufactured in, you know, China by 14-year-olds in Foxconn factories where it's impossible to jump off the roof anymore because they put nets up. The the point is that it's all a sh- it's a shell game basically and it's all people chasing numbers that aren't really, you know, you can't quantify a child's love of learning. And so if I excite that in a student, but then he doesn't do so well in the standardized test. I look like a bad teacher. So test scores, of course, are only one part of the issue. And, and you don't want kids bombing tests, obviously, but the test can't be the end-all and be-all. There's a lot more to a kid's life and a lot more to the value I will add during the school year than just what shows up on a test. So whatever, that's my take on that. Let's talk about some killer robots. Pilot robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. Oh man, like humans dead. are gonna always be I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative. I poked one. It was dead. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. You don't have to be interjecting every five seconds. Yeah, I do. Eh, yeah, touche. Anyway, uh. So I have one thing about killer robots, but first there's this interesting article. Uh, where was this? This was in Wired.com. It was called Die Like a Man, The Toxic Masculinity of Breaking Bad. And I think that anybody who watches, like this isn't bashing Breaking Bad. I think it's it's providing some analysis that is probably fairly obvious, I would hope, to anybody who's watched Breaking Bad, which is that the perspective of masculinity that's presented on Breaking Bad is flawed, to say the least, and toxic, I think, is a good word for it. Uh, so one of the most interesting parts was where they talk about uh, Jesse Pinkman's constant use of the word bitch. Because he's all, yeah, bitch, uh, Gatorade me, bitch, magnets, yeah, bitch. The easiest way to deconstruct a word is to think not only about what it means, but what it does and how it does it. When you call a woman a bitch, you're saying that she's difficult, unaccommodating. By that standard, Walter White would possibly be the biggest bitch of all. Of course, that's not the way it works. When we apply a female slur like bitch to a man, something strange happens. It stops meaning that someone is difficult or unpleasant, words that for men more easily are seen as signs of strength, and instead becomes an indicator of weakness and cowardice. And I just think that's an interesting perspective, and there's a lot of stuff in there about, you know, when when Walt does horrible things, he's, you know, the arc of Walter White is a complicated one, and it has as much to do with his personal psychology as it does to any sociological trends. And I've said before that The Wire is a much more sociological-focused program than Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is about basically one family and the relationship between Walt and Jesse and, and a few other peripheral characters, but it's really about that family. Um even when law enforcement's involved, it's still about family, right? Uh, but that said, you know, I think that Walt's desire to be the man, uh, he, his desire to become what Heisenberg eventually is, this powerful, violent, um, dominating individual, has to do with the fact that he's seeking and trying to claim this, this flawed, toxic masculinity which ostracizes him from his wife, ostracizes him from his son, and basically makes him um, 
unable to communicate meaningfully with anybody around him. Jesse hates him. His son hates him. His wife hates him. Everybody hates him, but he's got that power. He's the man. So he's, you know, he kiss himself, as Brain Tag said, go home and kiss yourself on that TV screen. Uh, you become Mr. Burns, and nobody loves Mr. Burns, right? Um, but the other part I think is interesting is that he was a high school teacher, yeah? And as a high school teacher, I can say that you often don't feel like you're in charge of much, and there's often a lot of disrespect, and students are going to sleep through your class, and there's only so much you can really do about that. Hey, man, if a student's sleeping in your class, man, you should, like, send him out of the classroom. Okay, burnout hippie dork, maybe, but let me ask you this. If you send him out of the classroom, A, he's going to hate you for that, and B, uh, he's not, he's not, he doesn't even have the chance to maybe absorb anything you say when he does wake up. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't let people sleep in my class. You put your head down in my classroom, I'm instantly going to call on you. But my point is that you have your little bag of tricks you can use as a teacher, but even then, there's only so much power you actually have. Not to mention the fact that students are only with you for 52 minutes a day, and they're in and they're out, and a lot of teachers feel like they don't even get to know their students. You know, if you only have them for a semester, like I have most of mine only for a semester, they're gone, you don't really get to know them very well, and you get a whole new batch in. And then there's a few that, you know, take your classes over and over again. You're lucky enough to get to know them. Uh, but I think part of what makes Walter White an interesting character in Breaking Bad is that as a teacher, he has a certain level in life, which is also compounded by the fact that these other two people who created the Schwartz Company, you know, or the Schwartzes, I guess they made the Gray Matter Company, they... They stole his idea in some... We don't really know exactly what happened, but it's clear they sort of stole something from him. So he's this... You know, it's the teacher as the one who never made it. He he messed up, and now he's just a loser teaching chemistry to a bunch of high schoolers, and who cares? And I, I object in some way to that portrayal of high school teachers as being, you know, the second tier, the almost could have done. Anybody who has real intellect or power would never bother being a high school teacher. And that's really bogus, because... I'm obviously an awesome person who can do lots of things, but I chose to become a high school teacher. And I know lots of other people who have made the same choices. Now, granted, there are also teachers who I can't imagine how they could possibly do anything else, but as The Office showed us, every employment institution in the world has people like that in it. Yeah? So it's really ludicrous to pretend like teachers are always and forever. I mean, we tend to get two portrayals in, in the media about teachers, right? There tend to be bums and like washouts like Walter White is at the beginning of Breaking Bad who don't have a lot of prospects and they just, they drive their little <laughs> fart mobiles. No, shut up, burnout hippie door. That's like a Ford Pinto. You know, you drive a crappy car and like, you're Principal Skinner. You're just like, oh, I bought a Honda. Blah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's this sad little life, right? But the other portrayal we get of teachers is, like, the noble heroes, like, toiling always and forever, and they're really inspiring, and they get their kids to pursue calculus instead of gangs, and, and it's, like, all this unrealistic stuff. And I met the woman behind the Freedom Writers Workshop, and I, I, I have a lot of questions about her. I mean, I'm not... I, I obviously she did an amazing thing because she was for those who don't know she was teaching in South Central LA and she got every one of her students in this high school English class to go to college now I, I don't know exactly how that happened I mean I've heard her talk and I've read her book and I've encountered a lot of 
situations where she's explained what happened. First of all, she only taught for a year. Um, and, but, and she bought all the books herself. She was working like three jobs in addition to teaching or something. I don't really remember. But basically what it came down to, I remember, was one of her students was on house arrest. And she's like, well, I can't leave the house. I can't do anything interesting. I might as well read this stupid book about Anne Frank. And then she read it, and she fell in love with it, and then she got inspired of the Holocaust. They had a Holocaust survivor come to their school. The rest is history. So, whatever. Like, it's either one or the other. There's never, like, a middle-of-the-road, like, teachers just sort of trying the best they can. And there's this movie. It was sort of, like, supposed to be a spinal tap for teachers. It's called Chalk. And it had some amusing moments, but it wasn't really very realistic because they were sort of trying to do an office-type thing, and they were kind of trying to have this romance thing over here, and they were trying to put in a bunch of jokes that teachers relate to. But unfortunately, a lot of the jokes teachers relate to are, like, silly and ludicrous and dumb. So I, I wasn't really blown away by it, but... That's the end of my long diversion about teachers and Breaking Bad. Here's some killer robots news. Uh, U.S. military tests robot that fires machine gun. Uh, though drones have assaulted targets from the sky, this is the first time a robot on the ground has fired a weapon. Four companies... Te- well, we know it's not the first time. In South Korea had a robot that shot a gun like several years ago. I saw the video for it. Anyway, uh, four companies tested the gun-wielding bots in front of senior army officers at Fort Benning, Georgia last weekend. Soldiers can operate the remote control robot from a distance of up to 3,300 feet, and it can spit... Am- it actually says spit. What is the source of this article? Mashable.com. If you can't trust Mashable, who can you trust? It can spit ammunition 5,900 feet away, according to Popular Science. HDT Global, the company that built the protector, didn't respond to phone call and email requests for comment. Oh, there it is again, man. People not responding to requests for comment. It's like that thing I said before. Uh, one, two, one, two, uh, That's true. Burnout hippie uh, door. Uh, one, two, one, hip-hop stuff. Why don't you play some dance or some fish, man? You should totally play some fish. That part of the dude's playing the, the, the vacuum cleaner. That's awesome. It's like... It's like he's playing a vacuum cleaner like it's an instrument. That's awesome. You should totally play that. Shut up, burnout hippie dork. All right, hip-hop. I got some female MCs to play you. Uh, Davey D has had, I don't know why, but for some reason he's just had this like burning desire to tell people about female MCs, and thank God that he has. One of his links was 500 female MCs everyone should know, and I was like, yes, I'm totally bookmarking this. I'm going to find an album from every one of those female MCs, because a lot of people had this attitude. They had some interview with Rick Ross where he's like, I don't feel none of them. No women could rap. Uh, uh, Lauren Hill, she could sort of flow, but aside from that, none of them. And that's just so stupid because there's women who can rip the mic every bit as well as Rick Ross or, you know, any other male MC you want to name. And I won't bore you. You know, I've played them on here before MC Light and Queen Latifah and Conscious Daughters and the rest of them, but uh, there's been a few that I've learned, I've come into contact with recently uh one of them is rudy ibarra i'll play a bit of hers because she's got this wicked foreign language rhyme i don't even know what language she's spitting but uh narubi salah is also really good she has a song called hookless um i will link to that nitty scott is another one that i've encountered recently and she has one or the video has uh, dmc from run dmc uh and then the other one is uh this woman farah burns she's awesome apparently she hasn't released an album but i just can't wait when she does because she's got some videos that are just incredible and one of them is uh this song she took the beginning of i wanna rock uh 
the, the, it takes two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, and then she does a freestyle over the top of it, and it's wicked. So let me play some of that for you. Right about now. Turn it up. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. This Come is straight on. fire right here, homie. Yeah. Come on. Somebody get Kanye, that's why Lil Wayne snatched up Nicki Minaj, the game's wide open I'm trying to strange, they on some lightweight, oh oh You really Haitian, yeah, man, the game man, suck by say I keep trying to tell you, it's Faraboule Drop the over metal, that's a cool CD So why when you see me, it's still full of teeth Yeah, I get sidetracked a little, that's the ADD Stop blaming me and hop on ease, it's fresh Keep trying to tell you, sell it out your trunk I get calls like birds, don't miss your call And it's a rap, as far as hip-hop, you own it My mind's been going zoning I just love that song. I, I listen to it all the time, just over and over on repeat. I got this. I make a little playlist for each season of the year. So the songs that I got real into over the last summer, for instance, I got Grouch and Eli with Pretty Lights. There, oh, there you go. All these lights are oh so pretty. Just one night to live. I can't see I'm on fire. Anyway, pretty lights, Grouch and Eli. Michael Franti and Spearhead, they had one called Earth from Outer Space. I wanted to give their new album a try, but it didn't really work out. B. Dolan did a great Which Side You Want. I think I played that on here. Um, the Cornell West Theory is a interesting band but a lot of their songs are real slow and like you can't get down to them but they have one song called paper tigers and they featured Cornell west on it it's to any empire of such spiritual malnutrition and more constipation so that sound just works really well. Uh, anyway, I make a little playlist for each season. And so my autumn playlist is Farrah Burns and then uh, Ruby Salah, who I mentioned, Nitty Scott. Uh, and then um, <coughs> I got this track from Mantra uh, and a bunch of his friends called Dedham. And it's Earth really Boy, Illy Al, Solo, Jeremy, Mr. Moff, Mantera. Select your weapon of choice and just dead him like Earth Boy. I don't think I've mentioned Mantra on this show, so I should do a mention of him because he's pretty wicked, and he has a song at the beginning of his thing. And then I got Burning Down the House on this playlist so far. So I just add a little few things here and there every time. So anyway, let me play a clip from Ruby Ibarra because she's pretty wicked. And like I said, she's spitting in some other language, and I have no idea what language it is. Step your game up. Step, step, step it up. Step your game up. Step, step, step it up. Step your game up. Step, step, step it up. Step your game up. Step, step, step it up. So if anybody knows what language that is, I would love to hear it because Ruby Ibarra, step your game up, and I I don't know what language it is, but it sounds wicked. Uh, yeah, so that's the hip-hop update for this week. Let's talk about it quick. Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Stop repenting because the ending is near. But don't panic, you can't function if you live in a fear. Pay attention, you got to listen to hear. Wait, 
Ella Winter was born in 1888 and died in 1980. She was an Australian British writer and activist. And I read a biography of her life, and I still don't really know exactly what she did. I mean, she she was friends with a lot of writers, and she was involved in different political campaigns. But whereas, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., you could say, like, he was a, a preacher, and he led the March on Washington, and he, you know, was a key leader in the Civil Rights Movement. Or, you know, you talk about Emma, Emma Goldman, and she was, you know, an anarchist and public speaker, and, you know, she, she worked you know the spanish civil war like ella winter didn't have like one thing that she's known for so she was just all over the place and did a lot of interesting stuff anyway uh she she published an autobiography in 1963 called and not to yield and in it she said this quote even if i do not see the fruits the struggle has been worthwhile if my life has taught me anything it's that one must fight so there you go. Go out there and fight, people. Fight to make the world a better place. Fight with love like Malala Yousafzai does. Fight to overcome the evil and the, the hatred and the narrow vision. And, and fight to make sure that burnout hippie dorks don't win the day. Hey, man, why you got to pick on burnout hippie dorks all the time, man? We're into peace and love, too. Yeah, but you're completely ineffectual. You're all about, like, just grooving on whatever, man. Yeah, but dude, you shouldn't be so harsh on us. You should be harsh on people who hate. I know, and it's trying to balance the anger I feel of ineffectuality. It's like when I talk to Democrats, like, the Democratic Party, yay! No, not yay. No yay Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is a bunch of weak losers. And that's how I feel about burnout hippies. But I'd rather you be, I guess I'd rather you be a weak loser than a strong fascist. Yeah, exactly, man. I think that's a real cool place for us to stop the show on. Let's hold head. Get off me! Anyway, show notes and links to everything in this podcast are on my blog, Didactic Synapse, fbesp.org slash synapse. My website is the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, fbesp.org, with links to music and fiction and multimedia and lots of other stuff. I'm doing a public reading in Sun Prairie on the 29th of October. Come check me out if you're in the Madison area or the Sun Prairie area. Sun Prairie, I should call it trademark, patent pending. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good show. It's going to be similar to, but not identical to the, uh, one we did in Madison. It's going to be totally different readings that I'm reading from the book. So, uh, feel free to check that out. And, uh, yeah, lots of stuff. Shout outs this week, uh, to Colin for retweeting last show's release and Hills Vardis Grimm for the kind feedback on the last show. And everybody who sent tweets, uh, the last week I've been doing this thing where I tweet like a 12 year old every time. And, um, yeah, uh, everybody on Facebook who's been giving me a lot of love and all that stuff. I don't have a lot of time to edit this thing, so I apologize if there's dumb stuff I forgot to cut out. I'm a very busy man. Deal hey, with listen, it. Listen, I don't have time to play with the phone here. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. Thank you for listening, people. Please get in touch with feedback or questions. Well, ask an English teacher. How about that for a feature? What's something you always wanted to know about the English language or how we use a certain word or what a word means or, or you know, something from literary history? Go ahead. Ask away. You can email me at esp at fbe. ESP.org, or you could tweet me at Duke Scaff. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm going to stop talking now. Didactic Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of Ribonucleic Records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOAR for details. Fight the power. So powerful. Man, what a harsh sound that was the whole time. He was just talking so loud. You should, like, chill out and, like, just talk.
cool one time. Just make it a show where you're just like not yelling. You're not raising your voice. You're just mellowing. You should mellow instead of always trying to yellow. Not the color, but like yelling. But I had to make it rhyme with mellow. You know what I mean? It's pretty cool, dude. Hey, get away from the microphone, burnout hippie dork. Shut up. This is over.